My goodness, what a difference 24-hour makes. We uh, Sterling Fox from Mike Smith. Good Tuesday morning to you. Yesterday at this time, it was sunny and going really wonderfully. So a bit of a setback, but we'll make it. It is the last day of June, the big day. The big birthday celebrations will happen 24 hours from now. Good show lined up for you today. Uh, we're going to talk to Janet Brown a little later on about the more from the new Surrey Police Department startup. Uh, we're also Keith Baldry will join us. We're going to talk a little bit more about the uh, the decision by the airlines to abandon social distancing on aircraft. Dr. Bonnie Henry had some things to say about that. Keith was going to ask her about it. We'll find out more. Uh, also, Darcy Rhoda, former Vancouver Canuck, will join us. He is a member of the BC Sports Hall of Fame. It's a deadline for nominations for us, so perhaps you have someone in mind in your life or personal experience who deserves uh, consideration for membership in the BC Sports Hall of Fame. And I suspect, in addition to talking about the rules and regulations of the Hall of Fame, Darcy Rhoda may just have a thought or two about hockey going into the abbreviated, bizarre 2020 season, we think, in a, a month or so. To begin the program today, we are delighted to welcome back Patty Backus to the program. Patty is a former Vancouver school trustee uh, and a school board chair, rather, uh, currently an excellent columnist with the Georgia Strait. I read her stuff all the time. Patty, welcome back. Thanks for having me, Sterling. It's good to talk to you, although today, although it, it's a topic that we raise uh, with some uh, consideration, Patty, because we wanted to talk about racism uh, in the Vancouver school system, and we thought with your experience as chair of the school board and having sort of run the system for a while, you'd be a good resource to tap into to take a look at how our area, our little corner of Canada, deals with this, and in particular, Patty, has dealt with it over the years. We're, we're at a peak in terms of emotion and protest and social recognition of the issue, but it's been with us for a long time. Talk to us about your experiences. Well, um, it certainly had, had been, a, been a priority in the Vancouver School Board for a long time to tackle issues of racism. And in my day, we had um, at the school board, they had an anti-racism committee with representation from a number of of different groups and and members of stakeholder groups within the school board, plus other experts uh, experts in the field, and there was a dedicated staff position to address and, and support teachers and schools in terms of working on anti-racism racism work. The issue has really boiled up for the last week or two, as, as it is bubbling up across, I would say, North America and probably much of the world, sure. uh, following the the police uh, killing of George Floyd in the U.S. and the, uh, the subsequent um, rallies, demonstrations, and the Black Lives Matter uh, demonstrations that have continued to play out, and, and the what seems like almost non-stop footage of police brutality against uh, Black and Indigenous peoples um, that has really raised the question of the relationships of police departments and school boards. And we're seeing this all over North America in large cities, particularly where there are groups and students calling on their school boards to end their relationships with their police departments. And I'm not sure if all your listeners are aware that the Vancouver School Board, for example, has an almost 50-year-old relationship with the Vancouver Police called the School Liaison Officer Program, okay. where, where police officers are partnered with schools 
and provide a range of supports and services. Their presence in the schools, they build relationships with students. Sometimes they coach a team, they participate in events, and they also work with the school administration if there are issues related to students engaging in behaviors that they believe need intervention. Patty, and, just, just, know, just, the- just just let me let me just interrupt for for clarification purposes. You said this program of the school liaison officer between uh, city police and the school board has been ongoing, and of course it has. Are these yeah. officers, these school liaison officers, Patty, permanent staff members of a particular school for the school year, or do they drop in occasionally? What's the uh, the permanence status of all of that? It, it varies. Uh, some schools actually have offices for them. They wouldn't be a full-time staff person. They'd be, they continue to be employees and paid by the Vancouver Police Department. Oh, of course, department. yeah. And so in some, some of the larger high schools, you would see a, a higher presence in some cases. In other elementary schools, they might pop in for some traffic safety training sure. and safety talks, things like that. So it's variable. Uh, I can't remember the number. It's not a huge number of them, certainly not as many as you would have schools. It's probably roughly the same. Well, there's 18 high schools in Vancouver. There may be around that number, and they would deal with the feeder elementary schools for those. And, you know, by and large, I think it's been viewed over the years as a, as a really positive relationship. But in the recent weeks, we've seen students. We had There was a student came and spoke to the Vancouver School Board about two weeks ago at a committee, a young uh, black woman who said she didn't feel safe in her school uh, with a police presence and that it made her uncomfortable. And we've seen this happening. There's a student who did the same at the Burnaby School Board, wrote a letter to the local newspaper, has been in the media talking about uh, not feeling safe having police in her school. And a, few, a couple of years ago, I think 2017, the Toronto District School Board uh, voted after similar kinds of calls to end their relationship with their uh, police liaison officer program. And I believe Hamilton Wentworth School Board just voted last week to suspend their program pending a review. So, so this is happening in the U.S. as well in sure. many cities. Yeah, and the difference, of course, in the states is that you have heavily armed police officers who who are assigned to schools at, at all the middle schools, elementary schools, secondary schools, uh, and that's their only job. I mean, yes, there are members of the police force, they're uniformed and all the rest of it, but their total uh, uh, assignment is being attached to a particular school. I'm just backing up for just a second because you talk about some Ontario jurisdictions that are walking away from or um, changing the nature of the relationship with the schools and their liaison, police liaison officers. You mentioned a couple of incidents here in, in the Vancouver area where individual students have voiced their discomfort with uh, these uniformed people in their schools. Uh, and so, of course, this is an ongoing conversation, uh, but I'm curious as to um, uh, the balance here, Patty. If, if one student complains about being uncomfortable because of a uniformed police officer in his or her school, uh, and uh, is there consideration taken that, yes, the, okay, the, we, we understand that, and thank you for notifying us, but is that balanced by the fact that maybe other students are taking great comfort in finding that there's a, a police liaison person in their school? Is there some attempt to achieve balance before making a decision to abandon the project? Well, what we saw play out last week at the Vancouver School Board in response to a petition that had thousands of signatures, so it went well beyond just a couple of students, thousands of signatures of students, parents, and staff, and a request from the Vancouver Elementary Teachers Association, which is the local union, 
to put an end to the program. Uh, they had a, propo- a, a motion come forward from the board chair, Janet Fraser, and two of the other trustees, uh, Lois Champ-Headley and Barb Parrott. Uh, the three of them submitted a motion to review the program and to suspend it during the review. So to stop the program now, put it on hold, and do a full review with uh, a wide consultation from various groups, including students and the police and uh, parents and, and staff and schools to really sit down and look at, you know, what is the program doing? Any program that's been around almost 50 years should be reviewed periodically right. okay. to see if it's delivering. And are there ways to, you know, that maybe it's not necessarily an all or nothing, keep it or scrap it. It's, you know, what's working, what isn't working, how is this being perceived, how is it affecting people? Um, and we do always have to consider uh, minority voices, whether um, in decision making, and we certainly went through this at the school board when I was there, dealing with students who were transgendered and their discomfort and lack of feeling of safety, and taking a very thoughtful look at that, listening and learning, and mm-hmm. making adjustments to policy to ensure that all students, all students need to feel welcome and safe at school. And if some aren't feeling welcome and safe at school, we need to listen to that. We need to address it. And one of the trustees has now found himself in very hot water uh, for comments he made at that meeting. And and um, it, making the point that you have kind of raised is he, he talked about, well, I, he used terminology that I wouldn't use and used examples that I probably wouldn't use either. And um, to raise the issue of students who may be comfortable with the police, students are the white students, that's not what he called them, but... Um, and that has, you know, really raised a lot of questions. And we now have another petition going asking for his resignation. Um, we have had um, the Vancouver District Parent Association come out yesterday with a call for his resignation. Um, and his own colleagues on the board, even from his own party, the trustee was Fraser Ballantyne, who made the controversial comments. His colleagues, uh, Carmen Cho and Oliver Hansen, have said on the record that they believe his comments were racist and they are very uncomfortable uh, with the position he's put them in and they are expecting a censure process to come forward. Uh, Mr. Valentine has resigned from some of his committee work in response and issued somewhat of an apology but has stopped short of resigning his seat on the board. So he'll continue to be on the board but not participate in committee work but still get paid his full salary okay that, so there's a lot of yeah, sorry. Uh, unhappiness about that yeah in the community I'm, that I'm, st- I'm, I'm still glad i asked the question about balance because i did not know about the numbers uh, i assumed that there were a few complaints from individuals but then of course you've got the the petition and various uh, interest groups like the elementary teachers association and so on so that does present a much more balanced picture in terms of trying to sort this all out Sterling Fox in for Mike on this Tuesday morning, joined by former Vancouver School Board Chair Patty Backus talking about racism, its history in Vancouver schools and the school board, and methods that have been taken over the years, over the decades, to deal with the issue. Uh, Patty, we did open up the phone lines. Let's take a couple of calls going forward, and we'll start with Kevin uh, here in Vancouver. Good morning. Hi, good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I wanted to say it was it was great to hear your guest, uh, Patty, speaking on this topic. It's It's really nice to hear... Uh, which brings to the table. But I, I did want to add something from my own perspective. Uh, I was in high school in Vancouver. Uh, it was a long time ago now. We're going back 20-something years. Okay. Um, but my interactions with the liaison office was, was great. Uh, we were in some rough schools. Van Tech and Tupper were, were a little bumpy back then. 
Um, and there was you know, stabbings and all kinds of really horrific things going on. Um, and what was neat was that we did have somebody to go to. Uh, we did feel uh, safe uh, having somebody that was really there for us, it felt like. They were really uh, quite kind and understanding. They also knew the students. Uh, they knew who was uh, rough around the edges and, and who was trying to get out of that and, and who was trying to get into it. So I personally think it was a really good thing back then. Um, chatting with the kids nowadays, maybe they don't need it. Um, she's right, it is a 50-year-old program. Uh, things change. The, the new 20-year-old kids, they're, they're amazing. They don't have a lot of the same problems we had growing up. So I just wanted to add that, uh, that background to it that I think it was really helpful back then. Yeah. I appreciate it, Kevin. Thanks very much for taking the time this morning. I appreciate it. Patty, Patty um, again, this is, as you pointed out already, this is uh, favorable with some, not so much with others, but it has a history and uh, quite a successful history, certainly in the eyes of many former Vancouver students. Well, I think what's important is the whole discussion of defunding police and getting police out of schools is it is talking about systemic racism and the work that all of us have to do to dismantle what are clearly some structures that have reinforced and perpetuated a system where where some students, where racism does exist. Whether And, and I'm not talking about individual school liaison officers and even specifically the program, but the message that's being sent right across North America is we need to look at the policing system, the rapid growth of police budgets comparison. You know, I compared the growth in the police budget and it's it's grown almost doubled since I think 20, 2008, where the Vancouver school board budget's up about 5%. So the, the, the resources that we put in and people are calling on saying, if we put those kind of resources into other supports, counselors, social workers, mm-hmm. school nurses, perhaps we could have much healthier outcomes for students and a much safer feeling environment for all. I don't think people like that look like you and me that have white skin can necessarily understand how these programs affect students who are it belong to groups that are disproportionately victimized by police brutality. And that's where, you know, I think we all have that work to do. If we're going to dismantle some of those systems and really get at what I think is widely viewed as a system that has, you know, we have systemic racism in our institutions, whether it's healthcare, whether it's the school system, whether it's the policing, and really understand and listen and learn. And we start by saying, maybe we need to pause some of these things while we really look at this and see how we can improve these institutions. It's a bit of a message back to the policing side to say, until you tackle some of these issues in a meaningful way, we're not sure we want you in our schools. We're not saying individual constable so-and-so is a problem. I've seen great SLOs, and I think people would agree with that. Sure, yeah. But it's a, that bigger piece that I think is being questioned, and and people are asking us to pay attention and start listening and learning and doing that work uh, so that all students can grow up in a system that truly isn't a racist uh, society. And I don't think any of us can deny that racism is a fact of life right now, that we all have an obligation, particularly those of us with the white skin, have an obligation to learn about and understand and work at dismantling. Sterling Fox in for Mike Smith on this Tuesday morning, joined by Janet Brown, CKNW senior reporter on the Surrey Beat. Janet, good morning. Good morning, Sterling. Long time no chat. It's been a while, Janet Brown, (laughs) and it's great to hear your voice and have a chat with you. The board of the Surrey Police Department was announced this week by Mayor Doug McCallum, and now I'm hearing there are some potential legal problems that have accompanied that announcement. Help us out here. What's going on at City Hall today? 
You know, Sterling, never a dull moment out here in Surrey, <laughs> and most of the controversy revolves around this transition from the Surrey RCMP to a civic police force. And as you say, uh, yesterday it was announced the formation of the new Surrey Police Board. The province has seven appointees, the city has two, and uh, one of those appointees is the mayor. He will be chairing the board. The other appointee by the city is former Vancouver Police Deputy Chief Bob Rolls. And here's a little bit, Sterling, of of what the mayor had to say yesterday during the announcement. Today is truly a historic moment in the city of Surrey. It gives me great pride to announce that Surrey Police Board has been officially appointed. The seven provincially appointed board members will join Bob Rose, previously appointed by Surrey City Council, and myself on the Surrey Police Board. Today's milestone is an important one. With the Surrey Police Board now in place, we can start in earnest the critical work ahead that will set the foundation for a new, innovative, modern, proactive police service that is tailor-made for Surrey. So that's the mayor, Janet, announcing the, that's the formal announcement. That was yesterday, right? It was, and the mayor also saying the first job will be hiring a new police chief. He expects that to happen around the end of August. That's the board's first uh, task. And then he says officers will start to be hired beginning in the middle of September. Now, as you say, Sterling, a little bit of controversy about all this yeah. yesterday. Mm-hmm. The group the group Keep the RCMP in Surrey, their spokesperson, Ivan Scott, I chatted with him later in the afternoon, and he says this announcement yesterday will not deter his group. And in fact, he is suggesting there possibly could be some legal action down the road. Here's what he has to say. If- we were expecting a, a police force, a police board to come out, Janet, and uh, we, we were ready for that. And this changes nothing as far as we're concerned. Um, Mr. McCallum can jump up and down, but we knew this was coming, and everybody did know it was coming. And for him to sort of, uh, sort of jump around now and saying that this is a, a done deal, we do not believe it's a done deal, and we will never believe it's a done deal until perhaps the courts uh, d- determine that it's a done deal. Are you suggesting there could be court action then over this? I'm suggesting there could be court action over this. Well, that's pretty to the point. Uh, no uh, details as to what the uh, what form the court action would take at this point, but they're certainly they've they're dug in on this, uh, and they have support on on city council. This isn't random by any means. This is a pretty well organized outfit, pretty well oiled. They've been going at this in their opposition to the Surrey Police Department uh, quite. Uh, in a quite organized fashion for a long time, and they have allies at the, at the uh, council table, Janet. They do, Sterling, and uh, Ivan Scott said that he would perhaps have more information on this possible legal action later this week, so stay tuned for that. At the same time, as you say, they do have support on council by a number of councillors, including Linda Annis. Uh, She told me yesterday she was surprised by the announcement. She was expecting it perhaps later in the summer. Uh, She said she had no prior warning from the mayor. She said that would have been a courtesy to the opposition councillors, and she is still calling for a referendum. She wants to hear from the citizens of Surrey whether they really want this transition or not. Here's what she has to say. 
Well, it's very disappointing news that the police board has been appointed today. Uh, clearly, it is moving forward, but without any consultation or um, engagement from any of the residents in Surrey. Uh, clearly, they're not wanting the RCMP to leave Surrey, and I think they need to be engaged and engaged now and heard. We need to get the referendum going quickly. Did this come as a surprise to you today? Absolutely. Uh, I was anticipating it to happen sometime over the summer, but did not hear about it uh, any, any time in advance. I heard about it when it was released to the media, which is also very unfortunate. I think a courtesy should be uh, extended to council members that this is coming before uh, it's announced publicly. So that's Councillor Linda Annis, who is opposed to the notion of transitioning to a Surrey police force. But Janet, let's just clear the air for us here. This, there's Because we know that a couple of years ago, in 2018, Surrey City Council voted unanimously to end its contract with the Mounties and transition to a local Surrey municipal police force. So the wheels have come off the bus since that unanimous vote, and quite, quite dangerously so uh, some would say so when did when did that divide happen when did they go from unanimously let's get this done to wait a second we better have a referendum uh we better second think this whole thing when did that start it didn't start long uh, after the election, actually, about two years ago, Sterling, when uh, city councillors said that they started to get more information on this transition, when they started to hear from citizens in the city of Surrey. And yes, you're correct. It was a unanimous vote and decision by all of council to move ahead with this transition. And uh, they have been criticized, some of the members of council, uh, for changing their position. But they argue that, hey, we have a right to change our position when we get more information about this move and the bottom line in all of this is they're concerned about the cost to the taxpayer. The mayor says uh, taxpayers face roughly a 10% increase in their taxes because of this change. Uh, other councillors believe it will be a whole lot more. So uh, the battle continues out in Surrey. The controversy continues, Sterling, even though the police board has been formed. And as I say, the next job of the board will be hiring a new police chief. And just a footnote in all of this too, Sterling, uh, yesterday Surrey RCMP issued a statement. Their officer in charge, Brian Edwards, who basically will be out of a job, right. but he will be rolled into the RCMP somewhere, uh, he says he looks forward to hearing the details on what the transition will look like. He says, quote, these details and the timeline will still have to be negotiated by Public Safety Canada and the Surrey Police Board. He says the RCMP will continue to police Surrey with pride for as long as we are contracted to do so. Hmm. Uh, help me with them. I need to take a break, Janet, but help me with the math here first, just based on what you just said about the, the taxation level, the potential for an increase in municipal taxes, because we've already heard from the, uh, the, the proponents of the Surrey police force that the staffing, the ultimate staffing numbers, as in boots on the ground, will be fewer on the Surrey police force than are currently on the ground with the RCMP providing policing. So from a taxpayer point of view, it looks from this distance like higher taxes for fewer boots on the ground. That's not a welcome equation. 
No, it certainly isn't. Nobody wants to pay more taxes, do they, Sterling? Nobody wants to pay more taxes. But, you know, at the at the end of the day, and I asked the mayor again yesterday, what is this going to mean to taxpayers? Bottom line, to those folks who own property in the city of Surrey, and he again said, uh, as he has always said from day one, is that the increase will meet the consumer price index and it will not be any more than that and and he's he's also said in the past it will be roughly about 10 percent more than than taxpayers are currently paying mm-hmm. but as i say a number of councillors on council say oh no 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 the costs are going to be a whole lot higher and many are saying right now the cost of moving over and transitioning from the rcmp to a municipal force is about 125 million dollars or so and um you know it's not a done deal yet either so we really don't have a final price tag. But as you say, uh, the decision was made. We are down this road. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mike Farnworth, the Solicitor General, who has the final say in all of this, he's also told me a few weeks ago, he says council voted, they made the decision, we are on the road to making this changeover. And he has also said, and it's important to point out as well, even though Linda Annis and others are calling for a referendum, Mike Mike Farnworth has said, no, there will not be a referendum. The voters have spoken by voting Mr. McCallum and his councillors in, and there will not be a referendum. Interesting. Even though many are still calling for it. Sterling Fox for Mike Smith on this Tuesday morning. Mike will be back on Thursday. Janet Brown, CKNW senior senior reporter, joining us from Surrey, talking about the police board and uh, the opposition that continues against the formation of the Surrey Police Department. You mentioned the Solicitor General saying, look, the, uh, the council is, was elected, as you and I discussed. It was voted in unanimously by the elected representatives. Uh, and, and, of course, there's been much talk about a referendum. You said the Solicitor General says there will be no referendum. So I'm assuming, Janet, the protocols are that if a a municipality wants to have a referendum on any matter, they need the approval of the province before going forward. In terms of this particular topic, they do, Sterling. Solicitor General Mike Farnworth is basically the province's top cop. Yeah. He says uh, no referendum. Wally Opal, who chaired the transition committee, he also said no referendum. So it doesn't appear there is going to be a referendum held in Surrey. Something else that should be pointed out, you know, you talked about the numbers of the current staffing of the Surrey RCMP versus how many officers there may be with a Surrey police force. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what, That that is very much undecided right now as well, because, and this is how the process will work, once a new chief is in place, you know, he has to get a lay of the land, how many officers he has, how many secondments he has, etc., etc. And then he will make the decision. It will be him alone who will decide, you know what, maybe I don't have enough officers. Maybe I have too many in this area. Maybe I need to move some here. He will be the one that will have to come back to council during the start of budget deliberations in December and say, you know what, I don't have enough officers. I don't have enough boots on the ground. I need, you know, X, Y, and Z number of officers to add to the ranks. And, and if you, you know, figure about a hundred thousand dollars per police officer, you know, and I need maybe 20 more officers. Well, well, here's what I need. And this is what it's going to cost. So we really don't know, Sterling, as I say, 
what the new chief will decide. Right. It will be solely up to him to ask council, and it will be up to council to approve any additional officers and, of course, the costs associated with that. Exactly. And and where I've been, uh, I suppose, taken in is by the numbers, the $125 million number, the transition budget that you referred to earlier, uh, based on the, the numbers surrounding that figure, Janet, is where I drew the conclusion that on uh, based on those numbers, there will end up being fewer officers in, on the streets than there are currently uh, with the RCMP. Uh, and that's just based on the model that was produced by the, uh, the and that came up with this number of 125 million. But as many people have pointed out, uh, that's very open-ended. This is a, still very much a work in progress. Let's go to the phones here. Andrew in Surrey is on the line. Good morning, Andrew. Good morning, and nice to be able to talk about this topic again. Um, <laughs> I live in Surrey. I'm very active on this issue. Um, I, I'm very disappointed with our provincial government uh, in the sense that they are basically saying, this is how it is. They're, they're not giving us any reason why they wouldn't hold a referendum other than, well, these people were elected. And uh, as I said to your, your um, associate uh, earlier that... Um, the provincial government is in a situation whereby they have they manipulated the system uh, legally, of course, to be, to take power. They can't really go and say, "Oh, sir, you know, the people are against what you want, even though you were elected." Uh, because honestly, the majority of people are against this. There, there are so many people being vocal that have never had to been be vocal before. Uh, and yet the majority of seats in the legislature in Victoria, uh, in Surrey, are held by the governing party. So there's, there, of, yeah. therein lies the conflict, Andrew. Well, and, 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 you know, there's been a lot of people threatening the MPs, the MLAs, pardon me, uh, in the sense that, hey, you know what, we are going to remember this come the next provincial election. But that's, and we are. Well, that's fair ball in politics, too, isn't it? One more here, and that's uh, Gerhard in Surrey. Go ahead, please. Yeah, I'm I'm a long-time resident in Surrey, and I have no problem with the RCMP, but the decision to have a municipal police force uh, was uh, decided by council, yes. and it was part of the platform of, of Mayor McCallum, and we have to uh, point, point, point out that when a decision like that is made, you then don't need a referendum. I think the whole thing is... Uh, uh, it's nonsense in, in terms of having another referendum. The decision has been made, and uh, they should go ahead. Well, again, there you go, Janet. And you've, uh, you've been on this beat for a very long time, and this is the kind of back and forth that you experience literally every day you're on the job. This is far from resolved, and yet from the point of view of Victoria and the Solicitor General, it's a done deal. Sterling, just one thing I'll leave you and the listeners with, too. The Surrey Transitioning uh, Plan report that came out in May of last year, it also talked about, uh, and let me just read quickly this one line. The sure. full cost of policing in Surrey, uh, the full cost of policing in Surrey is expected to progressively increase from $183 million in 2019 to $200 million in 2022 based on the existing RCMP policing model. And that is because members of the RCMP 
Kentucky are in the process of unionizing. And of course, that will increase the cost. So while the cost of the Surrey Police Department is expected to be high, so are the costs expected to go up with the Surrey RCMP. So as I say, Sterling, you know, it, it still has to come out in the wash what the final bottom line cost will be to the taxpayers, to the city of Surrey. And, um, you know, as soon as we get that information, we pass it along to the listeners. But yes, as you say, no referendum right now, no change in that. And with the police board being formed, it, it looks like it's full steam ahead at this point. But as I say, the keep the RCMP uh, in Surrey group, is uh, suggesting possible legal action, and they may have more information to say about that later this week. That's right, and the National Police Federation is sticking its nose into the picture with some questions, pointed questions for uh, the board as well, Janet. So clearly, we'll be talking about this, as Andrew said, again for quite some time. Thank you for taking the time to be with us this morning and clearing the air. It was very helpful. Thanks, Janet. My pleasure. Thank you. And right now, we have a lot of clouds over Metro Vancouver. Uh, hopefully, things will be a little brighter tomorrow for Canada Day. We get this bad stuff out of the way on a Tuesday. Sterling Fox in for Mike Smith. Uh, the BC Sports Hall of Fame proudly inducts a new class into the hall once a year. The selection process includes a nomination, and the deadline for nominations this year is tomorrow, June 30th. On the line with us now, uh, from his home in Coquitlam, is a member of the BC Sports Hall of Fame since 2002 and well-known to hockey lovers in his home province as a long-term member of the Vancouver Canucks. Darcy Rhoda is on the line. Darcy, good to have you on the program. Good to talk to you. Hello. Well, Sterling, thank you very much, and it's a pleasure to be on here with you to talk about the BC Sports Hall of Fame, which I'm very humbled to be an, an honor member of. Now, the process, as I mentioned, Darcy, starts yeah. with a nomination, and then, of course, it goes forward from there. Once you uh, are n- uh, nominated and in part of the process, do you ever find out, as a person who makes the cut and is inducted into the hall, do you ever find out, Darcy, who nominated you in the first place? You know, I, I did not know who nominated me. I'm, I'm, again, uh, it's a form you do. You can do it online here, and as you mentioned, uh, it's until I think July first till tomorrow to get any submissions in. If you've got somebody in mind, whether it's a an athlete, a builder, a pioneer, a media person, a team, uh, and uh, you know, I never knew who. But uh, to be part of the hall, uh, being a BC boy, Sterling, mm-hmm. born in Vancouver, raised in Burnaby, then Kelowna, mostly in Prince George, now been on Coquitlam a long time. Again, very humbling, a, a real honor, and I love being involved with the hall. I do things with them. We have a hearing, hearing you program at schools, and I go out and speak to schools with them, and they talk about the hall and what it's all about. Sure. And then you talk about you know, your career and give goals and incentives to these young athletes and students. So do you know, once the nomination uh, has been accepted by the hall, clearly there is some kind of vetting process that ultimately results in a person being invited or inducted into the hall, that this would be done by, I'm assuming, Darcy, some form of selection committee, right? Yes, yes, Sterling. They'd have a selection committee that would uh, go through all the submissions and uh, shortlist, and then they would have a vote and... uh, you know, it's 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 very exciting, and uh, I know that uh, the ones that get the call for 2021 next year will be very honored and excited and humbled, like each one of us is. And uh, you know, it represents all sports, which is which is so nice—not just a particular one sport. And it's uh, for 
all of BC, which again, I've been very honored to be part of. Well, no kidding. And it's been around a while. You're part of a tradition here, Darcy, because it says right here on the press release, since 1966, the BC Sports Hall of Fame has inducted 417 individuals, including yourself, and 64 teams. And as you mentioned, this, this covers the full spectrum of sports activity in British Columbia. Yeah, it does, Sterling. Uh, amateur, pro, uh, you're exactly right. Since 1966, uh, the hall has been going, and of course, it's down at BC Place, and it's open for people to go in, and, and they have tours. It's, it's, it's really a, a wide uh, range of all sports and what athletes and builders have done for our great province here in British Columbia. Well, I'm just I'm on the website right now, and uh, there is a, still a closure update because of COVID nineteen. The Hall of Fame, like uh, many other attractions in British Columbia, has had to close out of obviously public health concerns. Are, are you aware of any reopening plans, Darcy? We, we I, I, just... I believe it's all from Tuesday through Sunday from uh, ten a.m. to five p.m. Uh, that's what I was advised. Oh, but, good. Uh, uh, so for people looking for things to do, uh, particularly here in Lower Mainland and throughout BC, it's, it's, it's just a great place to go and, and visit and uh, to see a lot of traditions here in British Columbia and what we're all about uh, with our sports. Absolutely. So like the aquarium and the art gallery, they are reopening, but on a limited basis, uh, you know, with the social distancing and all of those other safety protocols. But it's good to know that they're back in the game, Darcy. Yeah, and uh, they've got a great team down there that really look after you and uh, again uh, they're all so committed to uh, BC Sports and they're so excited to be part of the hall, the employees and the work down there. They're, they're a great team. Yeah, so can we uh, talk a little bit more about why you're in the Hockey Hall of Fame on account of your being a Vancouver Canuck? And even before we talk hockey, I right. think you and I would probably join together with a lot of our colleagues in the sporting community, and I'm not part of that, I'm just a fan, but in saluting one Tony Gallagher of the Vancouver province, longtime sports writer and Canucks covering guy and, and even TV uh, uh, intermission guy for the Vancouver Canucks, who was just announced the other day, is going to be inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame. Way to go, Tony Gallagher, don't yeah, you think? It's Sterling, absolutely. Uh, Tony was the beat writer when I played for the Canucks in, uh, in the 80s. And, uh, you know, Tony was, was tough but fair. And that's one thing I always appreciate about Tony. His, his articles, uh, his interviews, when he come and talk to you, he was uh, very pointed. But, uh, you know, it was, was tough but very fair and a well-deserved honor and i heard about this yesterday and uh if tony you're listening congratulations absolutely and by the way just on a technical point my producer jason jason manaus informs me that indeed the deadline for nominations for uh individuals to be considered by the hockey the uh, bc sports hall of fame is indeed today darcy it's okay. june 30th so just so we make sure that right. and of course you can do it online there's no need to panic uh today isn't over for another uh 13 hours so you could just go to the bc sports Hall of Fame and, and website and uh, it's which is bcsportshall.com and then there's a place there to nominate individuals so there's still plenty of time left if you've got a last minute submission they're quite willing to hear from you now Mr. Rhoda former Vancouver Canuck does it surprise you I'm going to talk about the, the season and all the rest of it but let's just just put it here before we go to the break Vancouver Canucks are playing in the playoffs against the Minnesota Wild the first 
first round overall dra- draft pick. This Mr. Lafreniere from Ramuski said to be the next Crosby McDavid type franchise player still has not been claimed by a team because of the draft lottery. A placeholder team has first round selection ahead of L.A. and Ottawa and all the whole pack of losers. And so the Vancouver Canucks going into this round of playoffs have a one in eight or 12.5 percent chance, Darcy, of still scooping the first round draft pick overall, assuming, of course, they lose that first round. How weird is that? Yeah, it really, I watched it on television, the whole draft unfold, and to go to one of the 16 teams, and then, of course, the, the eight losers, there's 12.5% chance of getting that first pick. But, you know, as a player, you're going out there to win yeah. and compete and hopefully win that first round. So there's not a player or a coach or anybody in the organization thinking, let's let's lose this to kind of get that 12.5%. You want to win, and, you know, the Canucks want to get in the playoffs again, and they feel good about their season. It's been a special, special year, the 50th season. There's been lots of things taking place. They treat us alumni first class. They honor the 82 team in a game in December, and they had five of us come out on the ice uh, prior to the game. And I can't say enough the way this year's gone. So to me, to win that first round would be kind of special. Sterling Fox for Mike Smith, joined on the line by Darcy Rhoda, former Vancouver Canuck and current member since 02 of the BC Sports Hall of Fame and nominations for and uh, people to be considered for induction this year uh, are underway and will conclude at midnight tonight. So still plenty of time. If someone in your life uh, is deserving of consideration, you can go to bcsportshall.com and uh, zoom in on the nomination point there and and uh, make your make your mark. Let them know who you want them to think about. Darcy, let's talk a little bit about uh, the 2020 season or what's left of it, uh, and this this format with hub cities and teams in bubbles. And you're not a player anymore, but just put yourself in the shoes of of somebody on this year's Canucks team. How weird is all of this going to be? Assuming they even get a season in. Yeah, that's that's a great comment, Sterling. It, it has been a very strange uh, season. Uh, it's been a special year for the 50th, and of course, then this COVID hits in March, and everything gets shut down. And and now with the talk of of getting two bubble kind of places to play these games mm-hmm. and uh, move on, yeah. and you know, health is the number one priority. And we've been so good here in British Columbia uh, with what we've been advised by Dr. Bonnie Henry, and uh, you know. It'd be interesting to see what, what a lot of players think. I, I, as long as it's safe, uh, that would be the huge priority, I think, for everybody. And um, We all love hockey. We love sports. But the number one priority has to be safety. Absolutely. Now, uh, many of the guys are not yet back in town. All of the players for all of the teams who will be, who be, will be playing going forward have been ordered by their teams to begin to return so they can conduct a training camp and all the rest of it. But some right. of the Canucks actually live in Vancouver, <laughs> and you know who those guys are. Have you bumped into any of them over the last few weeks and talked about their appetite for, for what lies? Ahead. No, I have not seen any uh, current players at all, but uh, I'm a member of Vancouver Golf Club, and uh, there's a number of uh, former Canucks that are members there, guys like Harold Stepps, oh, John right. Grisdale, Caesar, Maniego, uh, and you know, we'll, we'll discuss kind of where things are at and going forward, what will we think of all this, and just as you mentioned, as long as safety is the number one priority, and that 
really is what's going on anyway. I, I, they, they won't move ahead unless it's really clear that it's safe. And I understand training camps are scheduled to open July the 10th. The 10th, and then, yeah. And then we'll just see what happens. But uh, I'm sure there's a lot of concerns and questions. You know, you'll be living in this bubble away from your family if you're married and kids and how that's all going to unfold. So, uh, but Stanley Cup wants to be awarded this year, and it's uh, been a very strange, as we all know, world. And uh, hopefully nobody contacts COVID through this whole process. Absolutely. And there, of course, is the risk. You know, there was quite an, a, a noticeable sigh of relief uh, around the Lower Mainland, and you live in Coquitlam, you can right. hear it, uh, when when it was decided, when the NHL decided, no, we're not going to go to Vancouver because uh, they're they're pretty tough. They have tough rules, and they're not going to make any exceptions for us, so we'll move on. And a lot of people in this town went, okay, uh, yeah, that, because a, you can't go to the games, Darcy. That's the big difference. That's right. That's a very, very valid point. I know people have asked me the same thing and have said the same thing to me that, you know, we've been so good here in British Columbia in regards to the safety and the health, and it may be best it's not here in Vancouver for the reasons you mentioned. Uh, uh, you can't go to games. Uh, we'll watch them on TV. And, uh, I, you know, uh, I'm a huge hockey fan, obviously, and I want the Canucks to do well, but safety is the number one priority for, for, you know, you, me, all of us. You've been in playoff situations before. Uh, now here the Canucks, they're going to focus on a, and the first round is unlike everything uh, you've experienced in the past because the first round is best three out of five. Yeah. Then they move to the more traditional NHL model of best four out of seven. So the Canucks will have a window of five possible games to either carry on and finish out more of the season or get toasted by the Minnesota Wild. So with that tiny window of five opportunities in mind, how does a team prepare for something like that? Well, hopefully players have been working out, and I'm sure they have. And then when they get together July the 10th for on-ice sessions, uh, they'll be kind of mind-focused, and the coaches will be well-prepared for practices and getting their players ready. Because, you know, all, all players and teams want to move that, through that first best-of-five series to the to the next round, as you mentioned, the best-of-seven. So mm. uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see how things unfold. And, you know, you're going to be in a bubble. You'll see players you play against uh, probably in close vicinity and that you've never seen in that situation before. It's just going to be very, very unusual. The whole idea of being in a bubble in one rink and one hotel potentially uh, – so we'll just see where it all unfolds. Yeah, and I guess, you know, the other part of any player's life, as you've mentioned a couple of times in this conversation already, Darcy, is family. And if you're going to go away for what, in some cases, the successful teams will be in this hub city in their sort of bubble, bubble lifestyle for up to two months, uh, in which during which time I doubt access to family and friends and, and that sort of the other half of your life is going to even be allowed. That's going to be a strain on some, isn't it? Yeah, it really will be a strain, Sterling. No question about that. When you're married with family and you can't see your kids. And again, we'll just see all, all unfolds. And I just you know, hope that everyone's safe and healthy and no one gets COVID through this whole process. And it's a, it's a safe playoff and safe hockey rest of the year as we all do. And uh, wherever the, the hub cities are, it looks like it's going to be, you know, the guess is going to be Vegas, neither Edmonton or Toronto now. That seems to be the guess. I don't get why Vegas has been a slam dunk since the get-go, but uh, it's always been on the top of everyone. Well, there'll be Vegas, and it's been assumed right from the beginning in the conversation. You've had many of those conversations yourself. Well, it'll be Vegas and somebody else. I don't understand that part, but apparently that's that's a done deal, isn't it? Yeah, it sounds like Vegas is the team, and uh, you know they may want to go with Toronto. It's kind of like they've got initial offices in Toronto. It's an Eastern-based 
a city three hours ahead of Vegas for games being played. I mean, I'm sure they're going through all these questions, the National Hockey League, with, with their, their criteria, what they want to do. And I guess it's supposed to announce the next day or two we're hearing. Yeah, apparently. It should be by the end of this week as yeah. to which of those two hub cities uh, will, will host teams. I've got to ask you this because you live here in the Lower Mainland and it's only two hours down the road and you probably go to Seahawks games already. How, how keen are you to uh, get that rivalry going with the Canucks and the Seattle whoever's playing in Climate <laughs> P- uh, Pledge Arena uh, beginning next September 2021? It's, it could be the beginning of an awful lot of fun. Oh, I think it's going to be fantastic. Uh, Sterling to have Seattle in the National Hockey League. They've delayed announcing their their team and the team name where that's going to be. And uh, yeah, it's going to be a fantastic rival. And if they have the success that Vegas did, uh, which I'm not so sure the National League wants to see take place, uh, it is going to be a fantastic rival here with with the Canucks. And looking forward to that for sure. Yeah, of course we've already got the White Caps and the Sounders, yeah. and so there's already a, a big thing going on. And, and of course we represent Canada when the Blue Jays come to Seattle. So the the, the the buzz is already there, isn't it? Yeah, it really, really is. And, uh, you know, before we get off the air, I just want to just say how, you know, for my highlight of my hockey year, and it's been talked about many times through the 50th season, was the 82 Stanley Cup run. To this day, people still love t- talking about it. It was a highlight of their hockey life, highlight of my life, being a BC boy, and uh, to experience that with a group. We never won, obviously, but to be the first Canuck team to reach the Stanley Cup final, very, very special for, for me. 